Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. Sam Bruce in the chair as ever. Joined as well by Christy Doran coming from his brand new digs in Wallara, mate. Uh, how are you? Well, they're actually not brand new um, because I'm still at the Manly residence, but there is nothing here, not even a chair. So um, it is empty and if there's a bit of echo, that's because there it is empty. Um, and uh, But yeah, looking forward to moving closer to the, the new footy stadium. Um, when, it, when it's up and running and uh, clearly good things ahead for the Waratahs and I think Australian rugby off the back of a really positive week. Um, we've got the announcement, the confirmation that uh, World Rugby um, being at Taronga Zoo present on Monday confirming that the World Cup bids are 27, 29 preferred candidates. Um, you know, that is, you know, everyone's known that for months and months and months, um, but very much... The confirmation that's needed, you know, the planning full steam ahead over the next 10 days, World Rugby is going to be going around to the different stadia across the country, just confirming that everything's up to scratch so that they, they can go present to the World Rugby Council come May 11 when they meet in Dublin that rugby, Australia, you know, they've got their ducks in a row. So um, positive thing. And then clearly uh, Tuesday up in the Gold Coast, a bunch of us journos managed to get up and see what the training facilities are like up at, um, at Royal Pines there on the Gold Coast, you know, chew the fat with Dave Rennie and a few others, and um, that positive, and it's exciting uh, with the bumper international calendar ahead. Yes, you're absolutely right, mate. Uh, on the back of, of course, the federal budget announcement last week of the, uh, the World Cup support from the federal government um, and state governments all aligning on that as well. Uh, the Women's World Cup announcement on Monday um, some really good things uh, and an exciting uh, decade, a golden decade as it's being dubbed for Australian rugby moving forward. Uh, but mate, let's dig into your trip uh, heading up to the Gold Coast. I was unfortunately a late scratching as a result of a, a close contact uh, being my wife uh, of, uh, of a COVID case. So uh, yes, I'm on ISO for the next few days. Unfortunate to miss the trip and a couple of interviews of my own, but uh, them's the breaks. Um, one thing I took, though, from listening in to Dave Rennie's press conference, um, particularly uh, at number 10, uh, of course, uh, James O'Connor and Quade Cooper, um, the, the clear standout options there. Quade, um, probably, I guess you still call him the incumbent, given he was um, playing so well before he pulled the pin on the spring tour last year. And James, of course, having to work his way back from injury, um, which was a really, really long road for him through the rugby championship and then finally returning against uh, Scotland up there at Murrayfield. Um, interesting to hear Dave yesterday saying that James uh, at this point was the front runner. Now, I don't know whether he was referring to him as the clear front runner or uh, in fact, uh, out there level pegging with Quaid at this point. Uh, but what, mate, can you tell us about uh, your interactions with Dave yesterday and, and potentially even James O'Connor? Yeah, so look, we um, we got to, to Royal Pines at about, 11 o'clock or so and um you know ran into dave in the in the hotel you know room and um shortly after uh, a nice press conference with with both the Wallaroos assistant Janet parry um as well as then Mike, uh, dave dave rennie and michael hooper <clears throat> i thought dave on the whole was a bit more dry than usual um we know that it, he's not the sort of bloke that's going to inflame antagonize he's not a uh, necessarily a, a colorful talker um, you compare him to Eddie Jones and, you know, the two are talking chalk and cheese, aren't they? Um, 
I, I didn't buy necessarily a few things that he was saying. Um, first up, you, you mentioned James O'Connor, and yes, you're right in pointing out that he did say he was the front runner. Uh, but then he, you know, mentions a few other people, and um, I, I don't think he, you know, we we saw. We didn't see the best of James O'Connor last year in the number 10 jersey, and that's pretty clear. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. I think one, and we've, we've spoken about this in the past, that one um, comes off the back of a, an injury where he's really un, un, unable to play um, with any confidence because training form and match practice are completely different things. Number two, no Sami Perevi. Um, no one to, to be able to just throw the ball, get him over the game in line, suck in, draw defenders. Um, and three, I think, you know, different opposition. You're not playing in your own backyard. You're not playing in Australia in a, a pitch that you've had so much success like Suncorp Stadium. One that both O'Connor and Clay Cooper know very, very well, um, having played many years at the Reds. Um, three or four, you know, they're playing overseas. They're playing against Northern Hemisphere sides, which are different. And, and you can't underestimate and understate that. Um, and all of that you put together, you know, Five wins on the back of, of Quake Cooper playing at the number 10 jersey and zero and three with James O'Connor um, there. And, you know, Noah Lola, CEO also kind of coming in at the last moment too. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think James O'Connor should, you know, almost be in the position to go, no, I deserve to be the first choice. I've re-signed. I've come back to Australian rugby because I want to play for the Wallabies. Which Dave Rennie is big on, yep. So if you're a man true to your word, I think on that, James O'Connor almost should get first first crack, first choice. Um, you know, Quade definitely on the bench or in, in the squad. Um, but I think O'Connor deserves an opportunity to at, at the start with a, a fully fit Samu Karevi outside him. Um, however, you know, I, I was fortunate to have a, a chat with James O'Connor shortly after the, the Dave Rennie presser. And, and I don't think James O'Connor even thinks that he's first choice number 10. I think he thinks Quade Cooper will get it. Um, and O'Connor has been a pretty candid kind of figure in the last few yep. years. And he very much, he described the season, the test season as frustrating. Um, and for the reasons that I spell out and, and uh, yeah, but it's a, it, undoubtedly it's a crucial position. Um, the number 10 jersey. W- w- what do you think? Which way do you see this going? Because he did also say, Dave, that he was a little bit frustrated that Ben Donaldson and uh, Lolasia are out injured at the moment. And a couple of those youngsters who should be pressing, should be challenging, um, keeping the older experienced hands, but also learning off them are out injured at the moment. Well, they're the guys you'd think uh, clearly post 2023, but you want them in and involved uh, in and around. And uh, Noah Lolasio spoke last year glowingly of of how time spent with Quaid, working with Quaid on the training paddock, how much that benefited his game. Um, in terms of the James and Quaid Cooper debate, I mean, I just think uh, from a local perspective, how valuable um, some big games to James O'Connor against the New Zealand franchises, which are now just uh, a couple of weeks away here in Super Rugby Pacific, how important they're going to be for him to really yes. stay the same. Um, I think he can go a long way to winning that jersey with playing how he did on the weekends in what was a brilliant performance, I thought, uh, for the Reds against the Brumbies. Um, controlled the game really well. Um, virtually set up the two of the Reds' three tries, I think it was, with the, the high ball for Pattaya, which was off a step and perfectly placed, you know, that one metre out from the line that mm. Geordie was able to to chase through and saw it and claim above before Fraser McWright picked and went for the try. Um, the cutout ball for, for Down Gurno. These, these micro decisions that he's really starting to sum up um, brilliantly in his own 
game thinking and, and getting those right. Um, he's got to get those right clearly against the Kiwi franchises um, in the back end of, of Super Rugby Pacific. And if the Reds can go deep into the tournament, um, and they're well set up to do so, um, having just had the one loss so far, um, then that's, I think, it's going to be huge for him. It's a really good point, and one that I didn't even mention there. That's a great point, and uh, Super Rugby form should be considered, particularly uh, for a red side. Now, the uh, Reds fans will cry wolf that they didn't have enough players in their 40 They're doing a bit of that this year. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, get over yourselves a little bit. Um, but but the it's very it's going to be very interesting to see how much combinations and continuity comes into the thinking of this because when we look at the um, the history of World Cups, uh, history of strong teams, there's often a, a partnership at 9 or 10 or, or 12 and 13 or 10 and 15. And these things could be really telling, I think. You know, they play, they understate it. They underplay it by going, oh, you know, we interchange a lot of training and this and that. You can't tell me that match practice, match form, knowing where these guys pop up in fields by doing it week in, week out at super rugby level does not have uh, a transferable effect when it comes to the international stage. You can't. You know, Greg and Larkin, would they have been nearly as effective if they didn't play at the Brumbies together? And, you know, similarly, um, Tim Horan and, and Jason Dan Little Herbert, and, yeah. and, and Dan Herbert. So I think that a Reds, a successful Reds or Brumbies um, program this year could be really telling in the overall um status in those positions and with that you know I asked James O'Connor how do you think Tate McDermott's going because I know for a fact that there had been questions about his pass about the tempo of his game can he control games like a Nick White can and more encouragingly for Reds fans is that James O'Connor was like no Tate is now you know starting to learn that he's working so hard on his pass but it's not just him he's saying that as a 10 as a relatively new 10 he's now getting extra length on his passes. You know, he was saying that Christian Aleofano, Quade Cooper, used to be able to throw the ball an extra five metres than everyone else in the 10 jersey because, you know, they'd been doing this, their bread and butter for years and years. So he was very optimistic around Tate's progression and as was um, he about the 15 jersey with Geordie Bataille. Um, I asked him, who do you think? And he, he was pretty emphatic by saying, Geordie is coming good and he's doing things that, few other 15s can do at the moment in Australia. Yes, he's no, by no means the finished product, but some of the stuff that we're seeing is X factor. And you look at what the Wallabies team and you go, how many world-class players are there? It's an overused term, but how many world-class players are in the Wallabies? And I reckon there's only Michael Hooper, maybe Tanyula when he's, you know, when his work rate's up there yep. and he's holding the ball or not loose, and Samu Karevi. But, you know, you look at your year, you know, a year or two down the track, Geordie Bataille has that potential to become world-class. He's not there yet by no means. A, a long distance away, but he could get there. I think Geordie's big thing, uh, just his, his simple skills a lot of the time, it's just merely catching pass with him. Um, yeah. We saw back end of 2020 when he was switching between sort of outside centre and, and wing at that point, um, the offloads really pushing those passes. I don't think that's you know, uh, being seen too much in his game anymore. But, geez, he dropped just a couple of balls cold there uh, the weekend. Passes he should be catching. And yes, um, if he's to really, you know, as you say, um, join that, uh, well, he's certainly among the contenders there at 15. But if he's to move clear of the pack, um, then he really needs to be just doing the bread and butter stuff and and holding those balls. Um, interesting, uh, Christy, to hear you mention Samu Karevi 
through that piece. And we know he's uh, probably number number two name on the team sheet behind Michael Hooper at this point. Um, uh, he was interviewed, uh, I think, through the Japanese Rugby Union or League One uh, overnight, um, saying that his, uh, his contract is up with Suntory. We all knew that. But um, he certainly will um, be open to returning to Australian rugby full-time, which is great, even open to potentially joining a new franchise. I'm sure the Reds will be keen to have him back, but they're, they're pretty well stocked there at, at 12 and 13. Um, now, is there a chance that uh, we see Sam Krebi, you know, head to Canberra or Melbourne or, or the force with Simon Cron, I thought could be an obvious location given Simon is over there in Japan at the moment and perhaps could get in his ear and, and have a word between now and then. Um, full stop, great to have Samu back if he does decide to do that. Um, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, good question. Um, I think there would have been, you know, it tricks everyone's ears, that one, doesn't it? Sure um, does. I, I think it's I think it's very encouraging. I, I'm planning on making a, phone, a few phone calls this afternoon to try to get to the bottom of this. I they're going to have to throw a lot of money at him. Um, the question is, do you see him as being uh, world-class? And he is. Uh, do you think he has the ability to turn games? Absolutely. Um, he makes everyone around him better. And he, fortunately, is very, relatively injury-free. Um, you know, he doesn't get too big a knocks or bruises yep. like some others, like, the, you know, the 10s, for instance. Um, I think that... The other really thing, a good thing that I would be considering here is going, well, you've got three international picks and Karevi is definitely one of them. He's always going to be one of them. If we can bring him home, we can effectively go, well, we're not, we don't need to bring home the other three, but, you know, you can consider leaving Marika offshore. You can consider leaving Quaid offshore. You can consider leaving Rory Arnold offshore because I don't think there's a second row in the type five is big enough without a Rory Arnold. Yeah, but, I think we also understand that Marika Corabetti is one of the more important players and he's a, he's a top-notch player. So if you can bring home one of them and you only really consider five players, for instance, overseas, that you go, they are really the guys that we're looking at. If we can bring home one, it means that you're going to strengthen that Wallaby squad exponentially. He's an international name. People know who he is. He's a, someone that Australian rugby fans and those that might not necessarily be the biggest fans will recognise. But he also could be a marquee signing for a Rebels or a Force. Um, I, I think, yeah, the Reds with Hunter Paisami there being secured for a couple more years, a Pattaya being considered um, secured, a, a Hamish Stewart, who might not necessarily be international standard, but is a, a player that you want to keep in the system along with a Josh Fluke. Um, it's going to be hard for him to go back to the Reds, but, you know, similarly the Waratahs, but the Brumbies, you know, they've lost Iray Simone. He would have been on reasonable coin um, without being massive. He, he's someone that could go to the Brumbies as well and I think would be a reasonable fit there. He's close with Alan Alatoa, some of the other figures there. Um, I think it's a great move if he can come home. He's one that, you know, you, you compare it to a rugby league figure. Would you consider bringing over a rugby league figure and paying him $700,000? Well, Let's bring home Samu Karevi, give him 950 a million. It's not quite going to be Santori level, but it means that you're going to be able to secure and have a, a stronger Australian rugby side. I think it's a great decision if you can bring him home. Absolutely. I, I personally, I like to see him go to the force. When I look at that force team, I think slotting Samu Karevi in there at 12, they immediately go from potentially a two, three, four win season max to 
you know, suddenly six or seven wins. I think he would just change the way they play considerably over there. And what is a team that already has a good nuts and bolts set up, um, which Tim Sampson, a, a guy we've got to give his dues to for what he's done the last few years. Um, and Simon Cron, as we spoke about last week, coming in is, I think he's going to attract some players and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, if he's really banging down the door for Sam McCreevy. Before we leave uh, this mini Wallabies training camp, uh, whatever you want to call it, Christy, any other little insight, uh, tidbits you can fill us in on uh, from uh, yesterday at the Gold Coast? Oh, look, I think a lot of the Waratahs players would have been pretty happy to see some sun, I'll tell you that. Um, lovely conditions out there, a bit of golf. You saw Geordie Pattaya and Reese Hodge just in the pro shop there in the afternoon after a couple of, you know, not necessarily intense days at the camp, but it was very much one of those logistical exercises where you want to get it over so that when they come into the camp at the end of June before the England Test Series, they hit the ground running. One, one thing that I also found interesting that Dave Rennie spoke about was that he thought the overall standard of Super Rugby this year was better. I question that. I'm not sure if it, if it has been. What I've noticed, though, is that the Wallabies players have lifted their games. They've, they're, they're playing not just at a super rugby level, but they're standing out from the pack. They're standing out from the rest. Now, that's, I think, completely understandable because, you know what, they've played an extra 10, 11, 12, 13 games than the super rugby players because of no NRC, because of you know the Shoot Shield competition not being really in operation last year because of COVID. Um, We've seen a lot of those guys like the Rob Ballatini's come back and they're still dominating super rugby level and they look head and shoulders above the rest. Now, that's a pleasing thing. I don't necessarily think, though, that the rest um, is running necessarily all that smoothly. And I've, I think we've seen that across the ditch in New Zealand as well. So fingers crossed when the Rebels get a few of those players back in the next couple of weeks, Ben Donaldson, Will Harrison will be coming back after the bye, hopefully. Um, definitely Will Harrison. Um, similarly with the Reds, yep. that hopefully they start to build and they're not necessarily injury-plagued heading into this crossover of the tournament like they were last year because that's why the Brumbies and the Reds really didn't necessarily put up much of a fight, I think, because they didn't necessarily time their runs. There's not going to be a final for a Super Rugby AU comp this year. The emotions are all going to be, the mentality is all going to be, we need to continue to go up and up and up towards this, this crossover. Yeah, now, uh, Super Round just a few weeks away and we can't all wait for that one. Um, let's move on to, Christy, the announcement or the confirmation, rather, of the England series, uh, Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, uh, Melbourne missing out. But I think, as we've seen in recent times, Perth have got a real position of strength over there with uh, with Twiggy Forrest um, really throwing his considerable uh, weight around. Um, and I'm sure they'll get a, you know, there's every chance, I, I think, that Optus Stadium will be sold out for that. There's, uh, there's plenty of English expats over there um so look forward to that one opening the series but this decision of uh, rugby australia to take the sydney test to the scg is certainly on social media has been met with a fair bit of um a fair bit of disgust really you'd have to say people saying they won't go they'll rather stay at home and and watch it some of the um messages i've been reading i've just had it confirmed uh not contractual on Rugby Australia's part, that they do have to take, they don't have to take it there rather. But last year, that the France test that was meant to be there, of course, got moved amid the, the Sydney Delta outbreak, um, was tracking towards a sellout. Now that means I think that the Sydney cricket ground is between forty and forty-five, mate. You spend a lot of time there. Forty-two and a half, is it? Or yeah, it's about forty-two and a half. Yeah. 
around that number. Um, now, I guess that decision financially becomes a, a no-brainer, but and you and I have, have watched multiple rugby games there in the last couple of years, and it is a dreadful place to watch rugby. Will the atmosphere that we're going to have for this game, will that, uh, I guess, help people overlook the fact that they're, they've got a really ordinary view of uh, of the game and uh, and actually they'll still enjoy themselves? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, yeah, we, we have watched some games there and it's never been particularly fun. I think where the, the press boxes are, I don't suit rugby at all. I suit, you know, cricket um, to an extent, AFL, but not rugby. Um I think it's probably a bit better for the rest. Um, however, we've seen games with you know between five to ten thousand fans there. You know, maybe eleven or twelve tops. Um, I I would think that with thirty to thirty-five to forty thousand, that you're actually going to have a reasonable atmosphere. That it will bring a bit of nostalgia to it. Um, I don't think it's the worst move. I, I know that. You know, from a commercial perspective, there's a lot of boxes around there. There's a lot of ways um, you can have uh, 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 function rooms, etc. Um, so it's a it's a good money maker, and you can't look past that at this stage. Undoubtedly, they would have hoped that this was going to be played at the Sydney Football Stadium. Um, it probably will be the last game that is played at the Sydney Cricket Ground, though. The last test, given the infrastructure around Sydney now. Um, I think Bank West would have been great had it had 30,000 there and had it been full. Um, but there's very little atmosphere. It's not around the um, the real hub of, of rugby, the headquarters uh, across the road um, from the Sydney Cricket Ground. So in the same precinct there, there's the pubs there. I think it will give a good springboard and excitement to the fact that maybe potentially later in the year, there's a, a Springboks game potentially at the Sydney Football Stadium and people will be wowed by that when it's eventually complete and you know, driving past there on a daily basis at the moment. It's it's getting close. It's going to be world-class. So I, I, I don't I can understand the scepticism and the disappointment, the fact that, yeah, you're not going to be quite there as close as you want, but I think it's going to be great. And, and if perhaps if it's a series decider and the Wallabies do get up, well, Michael Hooper said it yesterday, and I, I dare say with a grain of salt, but I actually think it'd be pretty cool if they did do that, storm the field again. Yes, uh, Hoops searching for his own uh, Buddy Franklin moment. Uh, that would be pretty special. And look, if they get the 40,000 there, I think it'll be, as you say, a, a fantastic night. And uh, it's, it's times like that you forget about perhaps um, not uh, getting the best angle of, uh, of the set play that puts Geordie Pavatire into the backfield potentially and uh, and you, uh, you're you more concerned with being a part of the moment and, and soaking up that atmosphere that hopefully a big crowd will provide. Um, just on the Springboks game, yes, still um, Rugby Australia, uh, a hope of opening the Sydney Football Stadium. Um, uh, for a long time, it's been thought that uh, the Rabbitohs and, and Roosters would, would open up um, the new ground on behalf of the NRL. Uh, no decision has been made yet, but certainly uh, one of those Springbok tests has been uh, is well and truly slated for the SFS. Yeah, the other thing that was interesting coming out of the, the Gold Coast trip, um, a little nugget that was thrown in towards the end after a, a luncheon there at the Gold Club, which was that the Wallabies could in fact play five end of year spring tour tests. Um, the reason is that there's three that are already slated, and and I hope that I haven't forgotten this wrong. Um, but it looks like they'll be playing Italy, Ireland. 
um, and France, which will be the three locked-in games, the real money maker against Wales. But Scotland, over the last few weeks, have sounded out some inquiries. Could the Wallabies play there first um, to start off and kick off their spring tour? So if that's the case, five tests. Now, that's really interesting because it's a long year then. It's a big calendar. Um, you run the risk of perhaps injury, perhaps the risk of burnout. But You, you have dropped one Bledisloe test, though. You've, you've dropped a Bledisloe test um, and you have more exposure to Northern Hemisphere sides. And a year out from a World Cup where you're going to be playing about five or six, seven tests to win the, the, the tournament, I don't think it's the worst thing. Now, whether or not we then see a few players, a few key Wallabies, do what happened in 2019 where a few have one or two extra weeks off around the start of Super Rugby or throughout it, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But I think it's a good thing because the Wallabies need more rugby together. Some of their key positions need more players, um, the players playing together more. Um, and, you know, tests against uh, Italy, you want to bank that. Um, and then, you know, a side like Scotland or Wales where you've lost it and you've tripped up a couple of times, good opportunity to reverse that and go into the World Cup with some momentum. So you look at from a an upwards scale, I think it could be a good one. It's a good opportunity from a money-making perspective too. You make an excellent point there, mate, around this uh, this idea of tournament play, which is essentially World Cup play, where teams have got to play, you know, basically five or six games back-to-back. You have your four pool games, which get condensed into three weeks. And then if you go through to the final, you've got to win quarter, semi, and then, of course, the final. So it's a lot of rugby in a short space of time. And I guess by having those... You know, perhaps there might be a week, uh, Grace, they could have off there through the spring tour. But if, if they were to play the five games back to back, then you're essentially aligning with what you'll have to do at the World Cup next year. So so good uh, good practice on, on that front and, and not the worst idea, in, in my opinion. Um, mate, before we wrap up, I wanted to put this one to you. I had a thought this week around um, the proliferation of, of red cards and only one game of the the six round seven Super Rugby Pacific games didn't feature a red card. That was the Hurricanes and Chiefs on Sunday. Um, a total of 13 weeks uh, suspensions have been dished out awaiting Caleb Clark's um, appearance at the judiciary tonight, I believe, which is going to be fascinating to see how that goes. And already on social media, there's comparisons have been drawn with uh, CJ Stander from uh, Ireland back in the Republic in, in South Africa there a few years ago. He got one week, I think. So intriguing to see um, whether Caleb Clark can complete his case and get off. But um, mate, for me, it got me thinking, I think a lot of the frustration is coming at the moment from fans. I think a lot of people, uh, if not on board already, are starting to get on board and understanding that this is the way the game has gone and we've got to protect these players at, at all costs. For me, it's the time I think is really starting to frustrate people and and where we have a, a TMO where we get the check check and then we have the break in play and then it takes, you know, 15 or 30 seconds to get it up on the big screen. And and then we have the chat between the three officials. And by the time, you know, we get to decision, often it's it's two or three minutes or as it was there um, in the Reds-Drewer game when, when there was three incidents to review, um, it was nigh on six minutes. Now, imagine if we had a, an NRL-style bunker system where the guys at Sanzar who... New Zealand Rugby and Rugby Australia have outsourced, I guess, the judicial process and refereeing um, appointments and everything for the competition this year. Imagine if we had the technology in there that those guys could could review these incidents while play went on, 
And then by the time of it, you know, one guy or two guys across the weekend had made a decision that, yep, that's a red card and off. Rather than having the referee stop, let's get it up on the big screen. Let's watch three or four different angles. If we could keep the play going, have this independent guy at Sands RHQ running, running the show, and uh, that way you get consistency. Um, I know it's not a cheap exercise to run the, the NRL bunker. I think it's about two million bucks a year or something. Um, but surely that would speed things up, and I think that would be you know something that would really resonate with with rugby fans because the time to get these decisions for me now is the big thing that's causing a lot of the frustrations. Yeah, I think the consistency one is an interesting one because um, from referee to referee, there's always a bit of subjectiveness that does come into it. So exactly. I, I don't mind that idea. Um, however, I, I think you could just speed it up by going for any any time that there's a, a maybe a try or a um, foul play, you only get three looks at it, you know. You bring it back to three and you go, this is not just then, you don't just slow it down. You don't just slow it down further and further and further. I think that's the thing is the the fact that they always like to slow things down and it then therefore looks worse. So why don't you go three? You get, you know, if you, you get maybe two fast speed of plays and then you get one slow down or whatever it might be. I don't think having 10 different angles, I think all that does is cloud it further and further and slow down the process. So, I think also if you take it away from the on-field referee, rugby league is you don't have a thousand players around the ball often because it's firstly the certain side, you know, the line tends to, you don't have the challenge at the breakdowns, et cetera. So I think it's a, a more clear cut in rugby league, whereas there's a bit more, it's clouded in rugby union. And I, I still do like the idea that the referee has um, a bit more of a feel about what's going on. Um, with the with the play, with the tempo, with everything. So I just wonder whether or not some of that might be lost. But I, I think you could speed it up by just going it's a blanket rule, three three replays on anything. I actually put it to uh, former World Rugby Chief Brett Gosper about um, must have been 2016, I think, when the NRL bunker first came in, and he said uh, if they were presented with the technology, um, World Rugby would would definitely look at it. Um, obviously, that hasn't happened. I think Brett's moved on to the NFL Europe. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, anyway, just a thought I had this week. Let That's us know a good one. On, uh, on social media. It'd be great to get some some feedback out there. Um, Christy, this weekend, a bit of a lighter round from an Australian perspective. Um, Brumbies in the draw and, and Rebels in the force with the uh, Reds and Waratahs having the bye. Um, kind of feels like we're rounding the, the midway point as we are, and I think we're all just keeping an eye on, on what's to come, starting with Super Round. And then, you know, hopefully um, not the great... Uh, Walloping the Aussie size got last year in, in transition. And as you said, it uh, be interesting to see whether Dave Rennie is actually right on the front that the Aussie teams are playing a little bit little bit better or uh, it's going to be much the same as last year. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're right. Like when you don't have the Reds or, the, or the, the, um, the Waratahs playing, probably, you know, it's the two biggest states in terms of rugby following, et cetera. So that'll be interesting. But a good opportunity for players who uh, might be on the – you know, just either side of the squad or pressing their claims from a, a training squad member to become a full member um, come June, July to stand out because you're not going to have the regular players that are dominating the headlines or, or whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 we're curious about the Wallabies, but we're also, I think, you know, a week later, there's going to be a couple of players come back from injury too. So, yeah, it gets to that time where you do get to get a bit excited. Um 
and you start to think about who's coming and even England are still whinging about the fact that Eddie Jones is back at Suntory, he's giving away secrets. Like, to be frankly honest, what are you what are you really giving away? Um, I don't think there's that much intellectual property that 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 is, remains secret with all the technology, the video, the analysis that goes on. Um, I think people are smart enough to know who's good and who's not. Well, I just saw comments um, from Karevi last night saying that Eddie had told him he should model his game on Manu Tuilagi. Now, I think um, Samu might have worked that one out himself, uh, the way he's been playing the certainly what we saw last year. But um, anyway, uh, he's certainly uh, the man of the moment, Samu Karevi, and an assist-based player uh, over the country, you would think. Um, mate, that'll do us for this week. Uh, you stay dry out there in Sydney, and good luck with the move, and uh, we'll talk again next week.